Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petham here as always and of course we're here to talk all things Aston Villa Football Club with a one-all draw away at Molyneux against Wolves on this Sunday. You're all hearing this on the Monday so hopefully everyone is having a fantastic start to the week albeit it's an international break now so we all know how that feels. But there's positives. We're going to get to those, of course, in relation to the game and to Villa in general. But, of course, joining me is the returning Tom Nightingale. So, Tom, I know you're away in the wilderness. You are back. You saw a very, very WWE slash rugby style draw against Wolves. Firstly, how are you doing? And what would you feel about this one? Yeah, doing very well. Hard not to be, like you said. Shame that we've got a second international break already. Um I don't think anybody, I don't think very many people like them at all, do they really? But um, it might come at a good time, really. I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll talk about it more. But it's quite clear that Villa could do with a bit of a break, I think. Get some players more towards full fitness. thought there were a few people who looked a bit leggy out there today. Um, so that's the positive of it, I guess. And then away at Wolves, you know, obviously the way that the game ended, there's going to be that disappointment and that regret that we couldn't turn one point into three. You know, it's hard not to come away disappointed with not winning the game when you hit the post with literally the last kick of the game. Um, but for me, like the overriding feeling, those, those are exactly the kind of games, particularly against Wolves, who uh, for some reason we just cannot beat eh, in recent years. Um, but those are the kind of games that, um, until very, very recently, we'd have lost that game. 100% we'd have lost that game. So the fact that now instead of after going 1-0 down, instead of, going on to lose that game and it all being very dismal and very gloomy. The fact that we're coming away and we, we're kind of disappointed that we didn't even win it, um, I think is just another sign of progress, really. You can't win them all. Today's an example of that, but I think it's hard to be too unhappy. 100%. Now, Tom, I did ask this to Seb in the previous podcast. I know, of course, post Sorinsky going so quickly into Wolves, some people might have missed that. So feel free if you want to go reflect on the massive European uh, night at Villa Park, feel free. And if you don't want to listen to the very end, or I think it was near the end that I asked this, when do you think the last time it was that Villa won at Molyneux, aside from, of course, when we beat them 1-0 one, uh, here in, uh, was it December 12th, 2020? When was the last time prior to that? The last time prior to that, that Villa won at Molyneux? Um, the... Oh, can it be this long ago? The one that comes to mind is... Oh, surely it can't be that long ago. The only thing I can think of that comes to mind is the Robbie Keane game, where he scores twice. That is correct. The 3-2, that would have been uh, the 21st of January, 2012. That is Uh, grim, isn't it? (laughs) Do you want to guess who the other goal scorer was? Because Robbie Keane got two. It was a 3-2 win. Yeah, no idea. Can't remember. Uh, Darren Bent got a penalty in the oh, 11th yeah. minute. If you're uh, a Wolves fan listening to this for some reason, uh, Michael Kitely and David Edwards scored for them. Um, yeah, just absolutely uh, mental to uh, see these benches. Uh, apparently, Emmanuel Fringpong pay- played for 
um, Wolves back then. Um, I feel like he's just become a meme since then, or at least was several years ago if you're on Twitter in the earlier days. But regardless of that, back to the Villa Sphere on this one. Like I said, a one all draw. Um, we'll get to the finer details, but to break down, of course, the scoreline. Um, Huang He Chan, I always butcher that for some stupid reason, or as Pep says, the, the Asian guy, um, of course, got the opener in the 53rd minute. Pa Torres finally gets on the scoreboard as a center back, a goal scoring center back. We all love those, of course, in the 55th minute via a very nicely taken Ollie Watkins cross. So Ollie Watkins getting the new contract on the Friday, which we'll also probably discuss as well, getting um, assists. Helping out FPL owners. I wish I made that trigger, but I'm stupid and didn't use my wild card. But this isn't an FPL podcast. So all in all, of course, Villa pushed until the very end in the second half. I I would probably say it's a fair assessment to say the first half was a complete write-off in terms of, well, it was just a wrestling match. Let's be completely honest. I've never seen so many fouls and so many stoppages in play. Instead of a 45-minute half, that felt like a full game on itself. Villa had the last opportunity through Ollie Watkins, of course, and he hits the post via a header, and then the whistle goes seconds later, and it just felt like one of the most frustrating draws. But, Tom, you'd have to say, though, being frustrated in that manner, it's a good frustration, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's like it's interesting. At, at about the 90-minute mark, maybe slightly earlier, I can't remember exactly when we started really, really pushing for a winner, um, but there was certainly a while where I thought even after we'd equalized, you know, Wolves were possibly more likely to get a win than we were. So 85, 90 minutes, that sort of time, I would have taken a, I would have taken a point and run home to Villa Park with it from Molyneux. Um, just get the hell out of there, <laughs> take the point, keep the unbeaten league run alive. And then fast forward, whatever, 10, 15 minutes. I think it was 103rd minute, wasn't it? The Watkins hit the post. Um, completely different emotion you know by that point really gutted um i was watching it <laughs> i was stood up you know i stood up pacing at the end when we were pushing for a winner and i i literally sank to my knees when when watkins hit the post um because you can imagine the carnage that if that had gone in because wolves fans as well were very um very unhappy with the referee we played a bit longer than we should have done blah 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 all that stuff bless them it's their cup final isn't it as we were discussing before the recording um, but you're right. It's a hell of a wrestling match, wasn't it? Uh, they're not big fans of John McGinn, are they? In those parts, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious the stick that he was getting, and he like you know, McGinn. McGinn loves that kind of thing. You could see that that was sort of fuel, you know, fueling him. Um, but it's I mean, it is. It's always a tough place to go, isn't it? But I can't be too unhappy with the point, really. You know, the thing, especially we've put in the context of what. Okay, there's frustration. Like it's a bit of a missed opportunity, but. We come away from that four-game run. I can't remember what order it was, but like Palace, Chelsea, Brighton, and then Wolves in the league. We've only dropped two points, and that's after coming back. You know, the way that we responded, I thought was excellent. Score. I think we scored within about ninety seconds, didn't we, of, of Wolves taking the lead. So to only drop two points over that run is honestly fantastic. Um, and then take that into the international break, like we said. Get some recovery time in, man. These guys are tired already. Um, we knew that playing in Europe and playing in the league was going to have a physical effect on our players and was going to really stretch our squad. We that was even before we were accounting for the kind some of the some of the injuries and little fitness issues that we're having. But I think it's quite evident from today that players. I didn't think any, these these guys played particularly poorly, but I think people like Musa Diaby, 
even Bubakar Kamara, Douglas Louise, people like that, like need to get some rest time in now. Uh, I assume, I don't know if Kamara's gone, gone with the French team. Um, so I don't know if all these guys will be getting complete rest, but honestly, I think the international breaks come at a good time. So, and it, to go into it on a, def, you know, on a defeat would have really sucked. Obviously it's going on a last minute winner for Marty Watkins would have been fantastic. Honors even, I think it's, I think it's fair enough, really. Yeah, and I mean, like I was saying to you um, over WhatsApp, as soon as um, Wolves pulled ahead, literally within a second, I said, "Oh, we're we're losing this." And then within thirty seconds, we scored. So the the fickle football fan of me—it's years, it's years of trauma talking. That is literally just reactionary <laughs> at um, its finest, I, I guess, example. But I, I think that's it's kind of the mentality monster of Unai Emery. This side is. I, I felt like. And the reason I kind of said that as a reactionary way, of course, it's trauma. But when when you sit back and you look at Villa teams of old, we go one nil down and then we either buckle and it's worse or we have all the ball and nothing happens and we're just hoofing and hoping for the best. And this didn't really feel like that. Of course, we scored instantly. That's one thing. But to keep pushing, considering how physical Wolves were, the constant stops of play, I think Unai Emery changed his tactics, I think, just three times alone in the second half. Um, not only with just substitutions, but in terms of how the actual lineup is being portrayed across the pitch. So he was actually looking for that winner. Realistically, it probably should have come. Of course, Ezri Konza had um, a very good chance. You'd probably think if it was anyone else, probably an actual forward, they probably would have scored that. That's a, that's a center back latching onto it six yards out, of course. Um, but all in all, of course, then he scored a banger in preseason. So what's really really us to say that? So I don't know. It's really those fine margins. Of course, Aniola had a really good effort. Yeah. When he, Tom, when he scores finally, it's going to be the greatest goal of all time. I swear to God. He has been so unlucky, man. He could, he could genuinely between like wonder strikes from outside the box and then these close range chances that just miss, he could genuinely have like four or five goals already for us. Fine margins. Massively. And add that in with the way Diaby scored a few nice goals this season. If Zaniolo scored those, I mean, you could put a very, I know no one uses DVDs anymore, but you know what? You could put a very nice highlight reel together and sell that off. Um, even though that concept really doesn't exist anymore. Um, so regardless of my outdated mindsets on that, I mean, if I was going to give you the over-under on the amount of Wolves fouls on Sunday, Tom, at Molyneux, what would I, if, if I said, over under 17. I genuinely think it's more. Maybe it just feels like it because, but I genuinely think it's more like that. I, there's, we haven't had such a stop start game in ages and we were guilty of a few as well, like Kamara getting booked early, but they were, they, their strategy clearly was to disrupt us by whatever means necessary, wasn't it? So I, I would think there were more than that. Well, that's correct. You're thinking very accurately. It was 19. We had nine fouls to their 19 fouls. 19 is a lot, isn't it? It is a lot. <laughs> um, I mean, we'll probably get to Gary O'Neill's, uh, his comments after the game, which I don't know what game he was watching, to be honest. Um, but the thing you did point at there, of course, was the big boob, Bubakar Kamara, his early yellow. He managed that very well. I felt like if we've seen, well, I guess a good example would probably in the past would be Dougie Louise, um, where essentially he's got that early yellow and then he's kind of just faded from the game completely in past seasons of course then you flip to Kamara which I mean we haven't seen him probably on an L- uh, yellow that I can think of recently this early but I mean just to have the not only the patience and the character to handle that but to really have the know-how 
as a pro footballer to manage your game. You know what? I can't take on that foul kind of making sure other people can cover in those opportunities. I, I just thought he was a real force today, not only just in that kind of mindset, but in his overall performance. Yeah, I think so as well. He was, he was what, about 75 minutes, I think, on a yellow before he got taken off. Um, and you look, you know, flip side, because that was that was this weekend, wasn't it, when Basuma, Basuma got sent off for Spurs. Yes, yes. Two, two very quick yellows and the second one for diving as well. Just like, how much of an idiot can you be, really? Um, and whereas Kamara, you know, we've said, I think Villa fans have said it all already like about, about Kamara. He's just, he's so composed. And that early yellow, I mean, it was a, it was a yellow card. It's fair enough, but you're right. Like a lot of a lot of Villa players, a lot of play, but most players in the league, I'd be very worried if they were if if I was a supporter of that team and your, your central midfielder, defensive minded central midfielder as well, gets booked after six minutes. But I thought I thought he was I thought he was pretty good. I thought in terms of managing the yellow, like you say, he was he was excellent. Um, which is good. It's another sign, I think. Like talking about Villa, like a few years ago, we'd have lost this game against Wolves. After going one 0 down, we definitely would have done. But Villa of this Villa team under Emery as well, I think, are more, a more disciplined and more composed and more sensible in the way that we play. Whether it's closing out wins, um, you know, I thought we were very, very, very good at Stamford Bridge the other week, closing out that one nil. Um, and then things like you know getting booked early and managing it for a whole game. We're better at stuff like that now these days, and it's all part of the general shift in mentality. I think is a big, a big side. It's well drilled coaching as well. Um, so you know, positive signs. Um, I do think, like we said, like Kamara and Louise are two of the players. I didn't think they played badly at all, um, but they could definitely do with the rest, right? Um, another one, Musa Diaby. I think I mentioned already. I thought that was. I thought it was Diaby's quietest and probably least effective game in a Villa shirt so far. And honestly, I think it's just for, I, I don't know if he was carrying like a, a, as much as like a bit of a knock, but he's definitely a bit fatigued at this point. So not a fan of the international break at all in general, but it's, I do think it's come at a very good time considering we go straight back in, got out back, sit back. I forget the European, you know, the conference league, the group stage, do they do that thing where you go, Sort of, you flip the schedule. So if we got out, we got AZ Altmar twice in a row. I believe so because Zerinsky's on the final day. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, and then so Altmar, Altmar uh, on Sunday, beat, they won away at Ajax, and Ajax not doing very well this season or whatever. But Altmar, I think, are about second in the Dutch league. It's going to be really tough. So that's going to ha- that's going to be a play your first team kind of situation when we're back. So the sooner we can sit and we can rest and we can get, we were talking about this earlier, get like Alex Moreno back to full fitness. I know Ramsey's had a setback, which is a real shame, but get get some rest in the legs of Louise and Diaby and people like that. I think we'll be all the better for it, which considering we've taken 10 points from the last four league games is a very nice thing to be able to say, really, that I'm expecting us to only get fresher and more dynamic, really, once we're back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, absolutely. I think that's one of the things. I mean, if this is Diaby's bad game, then I, yeah, I'd well, hate to yeah. see how bad it could truly get. I mean, I think the thing with him, of course, and I, I would believe that he was carrying something because he just didn't seem like he was off, running right? forward and being kind of, I, I would never say super physical, but he reads in between the lines and he's very good at breaking play. And I feel like he's one of those players. I don't know how many times I heard the commentator say, Phil just needs someone to break the line. And that is Diaby. Um, of course, we knew heading into this one that it was going to be a kind of a game time decision with Kamara as well. I think Kamara got called up to France and I don't believe Diaby did, which I mean, I wish both would just stay back at this rate, to be honest, because the last thing I need is Kamara getting hurt on international duty and everyone pulling their hitters out. But you are right. I mean, hopefully after this break, we get Alex Moreno back too, or at least on the bench, slowly showing better signs. Um, and really what that means for everyone else is just hopefully a fitter, more sharpened squad because they probably have one of the toughest fixtures we'll have for a little while domestically you would have to say um in west ham of course coming back i really wish that game was on the saturday and not the sunday because i feel like that extra day to prepare for az and then go into luton three days later would be Mm. hugely beneficial but i mean it's the nature of the beast i guess we'll just have to uh get in the top four next or this season and uh that way we can play on tuesdays and wednesdays it is what it is but i mean tom Looking kind of briefly at some of the wonderful notes you've written down and saved me from forgetting to write down my own notes, which is massively appreciated. Like we've kind of touched on, I mean, a draw is frustrating. It's not the end of the world. Like we've said, there's injuries to deal with, some bruised and battered bodies that can kind of heal. Una Emery gets, you'd say, a good chunk of this squad to be able to train for the next couple of weeks and prepare. Maybe see a little bit more of a few players he hasn't had the opportunity. I think of Big Tim, of course, Eric Boonham coming as, back as well. Of course, he traveled as well today. But, I mean, we're fifth in the table. I, I don't know what better outcome people were hoping for at this point because what we are um october 8th at time of recording this will go out on the 9th um villa in the top five yes if we wouldn't won today it would have been in the top four but i mean we're, we're, we're with the big boys the traditional top six now we're a, we're a top six team now let's let's enjoy it that's the thing like it's very hard to be, it's very hard to be disappointed with going in four points you know four in going into the second international break four points off top Two points behind City. Um, yeah, you know, obviously it's still it's still very early days, but I would honestly say that we're, for me personally, we're batting above expectations at this current stage. Um, I had us pegged, you know, I'd be ha- I'd, at this stage of the season, I'd be happy to see us sort of like eighth, that kind of thing. So for us to be fifth and have played some really tough teams as well, like obviously, like uh, we don't want to spend too much time talking about the Newcastle and the Liverpool results, but like at least genuinely, at least those games are out the way. Like we're fifth in the league while having those games out the way already. Um, We've had some, some tricky opponents. I still, to be honest, I still can't really believe what we did to Brighton. (laughs) That was, that was about, that was probably the most surreal 
experience I've had as a Villa fan since the 7-2 against Liverpool behind closed doors in that season that part of me wonders if it even really existed or if that was like a glitch in the matrix. Um, but you know, we've seen, we've been, we've been saying for ages, I think as Villa fans, I mean, not ages, but a while under Emery that on our day when it clicks, we have the capacity to destroy a lot of teams in this league. And we saw it like perfectly illustrated in the Brighton game. Um, obviously by comparison after a high like that and then the high of McGinn's last minute winner in Europe, like it's like a, a huge moment for us as a team this season. Obviously compared to that, the Wolves result feels a little disappointing, but I think you've got to sort of file it under probably should have won, but also very easily could have lost. And it's those things that it, it to come away frustrated with not winning is definitely fair enough from that game. But getting a point when on in many other years we'd have got zero points. Those are the kind of points that could have a big, big say in exactly which position we finish in and fingers crossed exactly which ta- which European tournament we qualify for at the end of this season. You know, those those if you can keep doing that and you can eke out points where you might you might otherwise have lost, or you can, you know, look at the Palace game, we were one nil down and then won won that one three one late on. If you can turn draws into wins but if you can't turn draws into wins then at least turn defeats into draws it's going to go an awful long way and i think now it was a miss, bit of a missed opportunity on sunday not to get not to get the win but villa have a big big opportunity now after this international break getting a bit of rest in the legs coming up after that we've got four winnable games i had them in, had them in front of me and i've lost them so i'm going to ask you to bail me out <laughs> on our <laughs> next four league fixtures but We've got a nice, we've got a nice, you know, there are no easy games in the league, but on paper, you look at our next run and there's a big platform to build from. Well, I mean, we might as well discuss kind of the next two run-ins, of course, because there's a another annoying international break. Um, I think it's, where is it here? Is there another one? In, yes, there's another one in uh, November, uh, of course. So, I mean, looking into the next run, of course, Villa play again on Sunday, October 22nd against West Ham. And then, of course, four days later, it's AZ. And then, of course, Luton three days later on the 29th. On the 5th, uh, Villa will play Forest. Of course, four days later on the 9th, they play AZ again. Then there's Fulham and then a break. I mean... Mm-hmm. That's- so that's four, that's four home games as well, right? And two away games, I think, across the yes. six. I believe so. And I mean, when you sit back and you look at that, you'd probably say domestically West Ham's the toughest. Fulham, who really knows? Forrest are a little bit tricky as well. Um, I would fully expect us to beat Luton quite comfortably. I will we'll say. Ro- we'll rotate quite heavily against Luton, I would have thought. I would West, say. West Ham, AZ, Luton, you know. See, that's the thing. And I mean, of course, this isn't an, this isn't a AZ Alkmaar preview, <laughs> but I feel like that's going to be probably, I have a weird feeling that might be our, best two games and the reason i said say that is because i feel like that's the one team that'll come at villa mm. and won't be afraid to press which i feel like is perfect because playing any team on the counter in the conference league especially in terms of villa's quality i think we picked them apart i think we haven't been able to do that yet i think you're right there's a decent chance because like for all this talk about villa being one of the favorites for the for to win the whole conference league and being the favorite in the group or whatever um which has some validity but obviously as a Villa fan, I'm unwilling to label us as favourites for anything. <laughs> um, but having said that, you know, about Villa maybe being, you know, maybe being the favourites on paper with most people, like AZ, 100% will be looking at our Conference League group and they'll be thinking, we're, we're going out to win that group. 
So I think you're 100% right. Like this double header, you know, going home and away against AZ or away and home. I don't know which way around it is, but, um, is going to define so much of the shape of how that group turns out. And I do think they'll come at us. And, you know, you're right. I do think it plays into our hands quite a lot. And this is the thing now. It's like, we're t- <laughs> this is the post wolves podcast. And we're, we're not even talking about our next game that's in two weeks time. We're talking about the game after that, but it's because they come, they come so thick and fast this year. And you kind of, this is, you can guarantee Emery and his coaching staff are sitting down over the next international break and they are going to map out the entirety of the next month or whatever, however long it was until the November international break. They'll be mapping that out already and they'll have at least a broad plan of action. And all you've got to really hope is that you don't get. You don't get a wrench thrown into the works with another injury or something like that, you know. But it's so much of this season and particularly this this autumn when we've got guaranteed group games and, you know, so much of it is about managing your players and managing your squads and also managing your expectations, I think. So that's that's the sort of ongoing challenge, isn't it? Well, exactly. And I mean, like you said there so very well, Tom, it, it's kind of funny how this season so far with these added games, we have to skip ahead. But I feel like for as long as we're in as many competitions as possible, the main topic is going to be load management for a lot mm. of these players and how to kind of fixate around that. And I think that's going to be the most important thing because, I mean, a lot of people will look at West Ham last season, of course, won the Conference League. But I mean it was only till the last few match weeks in the Premier League that they secured Premier League safety. I don't yeah. think, I mean, we look nowhere near that concerned as of time of recording. Um, but I also kind of feel like there's a theme coming up because, I mean, like I said, I wanted to even kind of highlight the next run-in after their international break, after the one that's going to happen right now, if yeah. that makes any sense, of course. Because then we come right back after facing Fulham on the 12th, jumps to the November 25th, of course, you got Spurs, then you got Warsaw on the 30th. And then, I mean, I feel like almost maybe mentally Una Emery's preparing for December because December looks brutal. I mean, it is for most teams, but considering December contains Bournemouth, then City, then Arsenal, then you got Zerinsky, what, five days later, two days later, you have Brentford. Um, December 23rd, you got Sheffield United. Three days later on Boxing Day, you have um, Man United. December 30th, you have Burnley, and then there's another little break there. So I kind of feel like when you look at the next batch and then a break and then the following little batch before just December kills, hopefully, (laughs) our souls, (laughs) the way when I look at that, at least right now from a pessimistic point of view, I think it's important to kind of remember that Villa have to take advantage when they can because there's going to be some frustrating, surprising results in December. We can't expect to go undefeated in that month. So, you know what, carrying a positive momentum into the Conference League within the Premier League as well, I think that just kind of sets us sets us up, sorry, heading into, I guess, almost December, really, or at least late November, with that positive momentum you really need heading into the second half of the season, because I feel like that's going to be kind of the tell-all tale with this Villa side. But then, of course, we should have... Um, Alex Moreno back. Hopefully Jacob Ramsey can come back <laughs> soon. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's the kind of key ro- with rotation. And I mean, even to backtrack all the way, like you said, with the rotation kind of um, sentiment as well. I mean, perfect example, of course, 
Diego Carlos played again today, played very well. Matty Cash was able to play further forward. And that just kind of shows that we can play with a back three that then transitions mm-hmm. into a back four. There's more options. You bring Moreno in, which I thought Luca Dean looked a little leggy. And I think, I mean, he's been doing very, very well. But that rotation to give him a little bit of rest or even have the... I mean, I don't think I'd want to do it because it'd probably be suicidal. But, I mean, if there's ever a day where you have to play Moreno and Luca Dean on the same side for injury's sake, at least that opens up another avenue into something. Yeah. So, I mean, all in all, it's it's going to be a crazy run-in. But, I mean, I think the way that Unai Emery's done it so far, it, it's very manageable. But, I mean, the other half, and, I mean, it's probably an argument for another day, is, unfortunately, because we learned that against Warsaw, Villa are going to have to be more... I don't want to say more competitive, but more first teamers are going to have to play in those games to get us through than we probably yeah. initially thought. So, I mean, I mean, Frank, yeah. <laughs> like at some point, we're going to have to start playing well in midweek. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know we got that, we got that last minute winner against, you know, from, from McGinn against Zerinsky. And that was like a euphoric moment, you know, a really big moment that fans will remember for a long time, I think. But, you know, Warsaw away. Everton in the cup, which was just a horror show. That Zerinsky game where it looked for all the world as though we were gonna, you know, we're all, all of our toiling and attempting to attempting to break them down wasn't gonna pay off. Like at some point we are gonna need to start playing well in midweek games if we want to fulfill the kind of aspirations that we as fans have and that Emery and his coaching staff definitely have. Um and it is difficult, isn't it? Because it is plainly obvious, I think, to all of us that you take with the injuries already, so you're already missing people like Mings and Buendia and Ramsey. If you take another two or three first team players out of that team, the drop in quality is remarkable. Very, very, very noticeable. Um, which is why, like, you know, the Everton game is a shame. To, it was a real shame to go out of the League Cup. Nobody likes going out cups at all. Everton at home, you'd have hoped to put that down as a win. I was far more frustrated and disappointed by the recurrence of Ramsey's injury than I was by actually going out of the cup because having players like Ramsey, like we, to be honest, I'm not sure how much we can afford to have setbacks in players recoveries this, particularly this autumn period. Um, Having Ramsey back was, was a huge boost for the brief time that he was back. I think, honestly think putting Ramsey in pretty much reinvents our whole left hand, you know, left hand side, going forward um and that's just it's just whether whether you want to start him every game when he's fit and have him drifting in from the left or like whatever whether that's what you want to go with from the start isn't is almost not really the point the point is is that you have it as an option and we need options like that at the moment so that injury setback was a big recovery and i just it feels it feels a bit miserable after getting 10 points in four games and being being fifth in the league going into the thing to be sat here talking about oh i'm desperately hoping that we don't have any more injury setbacks but we we kind of have to be like that because it's already we're already seeing that we're stretched a little thin and that maybe while we're doing very well in the league and our first team is certainly putting in the performances we want to see the drop off is astounding really when you take out like three or four first teamers so that's an issue that one way or another is going to have to be resolved Emery's going to want to keep making cha- making some changes because you have to rotate. But I think we've learned a couple of harsh lessons that we actually can't really afford to do that much rotation right now. So again, it all comes down. <laughs> said it about three times already on this pod, but honestly, I hate the international break, but thank God for this one. 
Yeah, I, I think it does actually come at a, a good time. But even to look at the bench right now, I mean, you can see with hopefully Moreno coming back soon. I mean, of course, the bench today was uh, Tillemans, uh, Captain Chaos, Bertie Traor himself, um, who I, I think didn't get enough credit, of course, um, for setting up Matty Cash for the assist on the McGinn winner. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look back at the highlights, he's a massive part of that. So nice yeah. to see him come back out of nowhere and produce the goods again. Uh, Chambers, Longley, Zaniolo, Duran, uh, Robin Olsen, Leon Bailey, and Leander Dundonker as well. You would think Moreno comes back, um, whether that means him or Dean probably takes Calvin Chambers' spot. Ramsey comes back, then there's kind of even more of a shuffle, and it goes up. Like, it's crazy to think. I mean, we don't have to discuss this, but quickly, just to put that notion out there, it's crazy to think if Mings and Buendia never got hurt, you add him, Ramsey, um, and uh, Moreno into that. Those four, go on. just put those on the bench. I mean... It's absolutely crazy um, yeah. to think of the bench we would have, but I, gen- it, it I, is what it I is. genuinely think we've got at full fitness. I think we've got one of, if not the strongest squad outside of your typical top four, top you know, top six, I guess. Oh, um, so it is a real shame, but those are the sort of those are the those are the punches you have to roll with, aren't they? Really? Um, and to be honest, we're doing a pretty damn good job of rolling with them so far. I think really. Oh, 100%. Um, let's get to Gary O'Neill's comments. Have you seen these, Tom? Oh, yeah. It's uh, uh, Ga- Gary Lee Johnson O'Neill. <laughs> um, yes, trying to feed into a, a rivalry that doesn't exist. And these <laughs> comments are probably um, all of them. So I'll read out. I think there's um, three of them or four of them here. One second here. Let me find them right here. Uh, his first one, he said, Villa, obviously referencing, they were quite passive. Um, they spent a lot of time in the back six, so the nature of the equalizer was disappointing. I think we probably edged 11 v 11. That's one comment. The next one, he said they, of course, being Villa, uh, spent a lot of money on the squad, but we looked comfortable, I thought. Uh, he then goes on to say uh, there didn't feel like there was loads of stoppages in the second half. Um, Jacob Tamsel then puts a note saying he's not sure about that. <laughs> so it's interesting <laughs> to see a journalist not even agree as well. Um, and then there was O'Neill on the exchange with Emery at the final whistle. Um, he says a lot of nothing. I was I was moaning at the fourth official and Unai Emery didn't want to wait for the handshake. So I said, no problem. Go down the tunnel. My conversation with the fourth official lasted um, about eight seconds. Um the reason I bring that up because Unai Emery then comes out and there's a little bit of spice to this one. Um, I, I think there's more to it than meets the eye, which I, I love a little bit of shithousery from a manager as well. So Unai Emery on what happened with Gary O'Neill at the final whistle. Nothing. I was waiting to tell him congratulations, shake his hand, and he was speaking to the assistant referee and I left simply. So uh, did Gary O'Neill lie and just basically say that he told them to go off to the tunnel? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's yeah. very <laughs> odd uh, behavior. Um, but what do you make of these comments? It's, it's wild to me. Like it just, I I don't, what stratosphere, what game was he watching? Like, I'm not saying we were dominant, had 90% possession and deserved to win five nil. Uh, but the fact to say Villa weren't nearly as good as Wolves 11 v 11. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Gary O'Neill missed the 18 shots that we had in that game. Um, <laughs> or the fact that I saw somebody, somebody just, somebody just quote tweeted that, that Gary O'Neill thing with like the average position thing and like Villa are far more advanced all game than Wolves are on average. Like, I don't know. Is, is, uh, there, there was an element of us trying to contain Wolves, 
but you're away from home against a team who have just beaten Man City. Like, is Gary is is Gary O'Neill angry that Unai Emery had a tactical plan for this I game? So. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. What the, not entirely sure what the point he's trying to make is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't. I, you know, Villa, we we weren't at our best, were we? We it was hardly Villa six, Brighton one. Um, but again, like if these, I think we sort of alluded to this, like with our first team notwithstanding the Everton, the mess that was Everton and the, the Warsaw away game, which the more I think about it, the more I just think we, we got completely overawed by the occasion and the atmosphere, I think, in that game. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe putting particularly the Everton game aside, in terms of the league and the first team, like if this is our poor level of performance, I am very, very happy with where we are as a football team right now. Like if today was... If you're calling today lackluster and uninspiring and, you know, we struggled a bit like that, like if these are our struggles, I am more than happy to embrace that as the, as the running theme for the rest of the season, to be honest. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I just think we've progressed so much as a football team un- under Emery already, really. And so it means that when you're getting thrown these things, like a bunch more games to play, r- really terrible injuries before the season starts, like, niggling ongoing injuries in the early weeks of the season we're handling it all so much better than we would do under any other manager that we have had in recent history every game we come in and there's a clear i feel like there's a pretty clear tactical plan like you said you referenced emery's changes of you know tactical tweaks during the game like we have a hands-on manager who at least has a, you know, nothing's ever certain, is it? Every every sort of tactical tweak in the middle of a game is a gamble inherently. But he he always has, it's quite clear that Emery always has a plan A, a plan B and a plan C for every game. Um, and it's serving us really, really, really well so far. Um, so I'm sorry if Mr. Gary O'Neill doesn't doesn't understand that. But um, oh, It gets worse. Yeah. I just found another comment. <laughs> um, here's another one from Jacob Tamswell, of course, the Athletics Villa reporter. Um, O'Neill, very strong on Villa. Uh, he says, quoting him, John McGinn seemed to be close at times to receiving another yellow, but I understand the referee was trying to do his best. Um, it's just a disappointment that we conceded against a side that didn't want to come out and press. <laughs> what planet is that from <laughs> oh my god unbelievable Here, here's a great note though from of course jacob that says i don't want to be that person but villa actually had a higher average positioning map than wolves today yeah, yeah. so uh, not to like, make too much of this but i mean whatever drug he is on i yeah. want some of that because yeah. wow <laughs> and i think a good i think a good wider point is just that how nice is it like i was talking about emery's tactical flexibility and his, his meticulous preparation, which obviously he's become almost, he's become almost a meme with his laptop, hasn't he, amongst our fan base for his preparation. But it's not only just that, like, how nice is it to have a manager who doesn't, there's absolutely no bullshit from Unai Emery whatsoever. I haven't, re- I haven't heard him say anything to my memory in a post-match interview about a game that, where I've, he said it and I've thought, no, I'm not sure about that. You know, that doesn't sound right. Whereas you think the guff that we don't even have to talk about Gerard because the guy, I think honestly, I, the, I think the guy's a moron as, <laughs> as a manager, but not even just like, not even just Gerard. Like we've had so many other managers in the past that people like Paul Lambert used to do it all the time. I know Paul Lambert's your favorite guy. Um, oh, people like Paul Lambert used to do it all the time. Even Steve, like Steve Bruce, people like that, where it wasn't necessarily making excuses, but they, you sometimes wondered if they'd watched the same game that you had 
you know, I think they sort of willful, a lot of willful ignorance from some managers. And I think a lot of it's to do with ego and stuff like that. Whereas Emery, there's none of that whatsoever. Like he'll have looked at that. Emery will come away from this game and he'll know we should have won. He'll know there are a bunch of things we could have done better. And we'll spend the next, he'll spend the next two weeks working our players into the ground to, you know, in the tactics room in front of video footage or whatever to get that right. And I think based on the evidence so far, He's, he's, Emery's maybe made a couple of missteps so far this season. But to be honest, I think the only real missteps that he's made have been born out of the, the absolute necessity to rotate the team. Like there are a lot of fans out there who I think are a bit blind to the truth that you cannot play. You cannot play your first team every game in a season like we have at the moment. Um, it's just become a question of how much of the first team can we get away with playing because it's quite clear that they're a lot better than <laughs> they're a lot better than some of our fringe players. So that's I think that's really kind of the big question moving forward in 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 the context of where we're at in the season right now because tiredness was a big big factor on Sunday. Absolutely, and yeah, like we said before and touched on it, it definitely was showing. I, I think the break comes at a most opportune time. But anyways, let's get over to the three word reviews on Twitter. I know there's a lot fewer um, today than usual. I, to be honest, and I saw this to Tom pre-recording, I don't understand how Twitter X works anymore. You'll get something that doesn't make any sense, get like a million likes and then actual good content. Not being bitter and saying other people's quality <laughs> content isn't good. Um, but yeah, anyways, the fact that we'd get like 100 interactions last year and we're just as active as we were. And then we get like a, a fraction of that. I'm I'm a little concerned at how this platform is going, but it's all uh it's all Elon's world, and we're just living in it while he burns it to the ground. Yes, I think he's flagged our account and just hates us. That's that's what's that, that's what I'm gonna go with. But anyways, of course, you can tweet us post match, of course, at 7500 to hold to get your three word review read out. So this is a, of course a notice to Tom to get his creative juices flowing. Um, and as I'm reading this out, panic internally, as I still haven't thought of one, as I never do. Anyways, let's go to, uh, of course, our very own um, Oliver Hawthorne um, getting in on the good fun, saying frustrating but encouraging, and then in brackets-ish. I'll, I'll give him that as, as a three-word review because it does relatively apply. I do like the brackets when people add in added comments because sometimes they're even more funnier than the actual three-word review. But regardless of that, let's go to Jazz Singh saying, must find consistency. Gary H., no complaints, really. Um, AM15, replay the game. Uh, Nick Knock, we didn't lose. Um, Kamara season, where is penalty? Which we probably actually should talk about that after this one because I did forget about that. Uh, Michael Taylor, uh, tired legs costly. Ernie Bernhurst, two points lost. Um, our boss saying, wait, or sorry, what? No penno. Uh, Gary H, our first draw. Uh, Jimbo thinks we didn't want it, um, which is an interesting one, regardless. Um, <laughs> Luke Webb, UTV, penalty question mark, fifth shithole. Uh, <laughs> and we'll leave it at that one. So, Tom, what is your three word review? I, uh, I'm because I've done my classic thing and I haven't in any way prepared for this, even though I know this is coming every time. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was one in that that I really agreed with. Um, and I was going to say it. And I've forgotten what it was. So I'm uh, fair enough, really. I think it's probably my three, my three word review. I can't really. Oh, it was no complaints, really. I think or something like that was it. That's about where I'm at. Although just while I say no complaints, really, and because you said we should talk about it because I'd forgotten about it, how you can push a striker in the back 
in the moment of shooting and cause him to shoot wide and it not even really be sort of taken seriously as a penalty shout is beyond me. I don't, I really don't, not going to spend very much time whining about this because I do think a draws kind of, I mean, I'm a draws kind of a fair fair enough result, I think. But Watkins was just pushed in the back off balance when shooting from, what was he like, eight yards out, 10 yards out, something like that. Uh, I don't know, you know, I, I I don't really know how that doesn't get looked at and, and considered more seriously, but I guess it swings and roundabouts because I think Wolves fans think that they should have had one as well. So, Well, it's wild because they'll, they'll let something like that go, but then a player, I don't know if you saw, um, I think it was midweek in the championship. The, the Did you see the, oh, our, our favorite boy there from Leeds? Um, of oh, pa- Patrick Bamford. Patrick Bamford, yes. Uh... I, his name escaped me for just a moment, of course. And he, of course, got, um, oh, who's the QP, QPR keeper now there? Um, oh, he played for Stoke in Chelsea, and I can't remember his name. Um, oh, Be- is it Begovic? Begovic, yes. Um, I'm really forgetting names, as you can tell. Um, but, of course, Begovic came out. He did have a high foot, but literally... Of course, Bamford just jumped on the ground to his right. Um, he probably would have been kicked by it, but he jumped out of the way mm-hmm. and he still got sent off. Of course, Begovic did and he didn't even touch him. That's the uh, consistency of uh, refereeing in uh, England. <laughs> so, uh, of course, it's down to division so people can say what they want. But yeah, it, it blows my mind this one because the shove in the back, no matter how it is, and there's a goal scoring opportunity in the box. I mean, it has to be reviewed more than two seconds of, yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a dangerous precedent, but they've been setting dangerous precedents for ages. Yeah. But, but then it's uh, difficult. It's, it's sort of, uh, it's all these little things, isn't it? Like, you know, you can say that the Watkins got probably got fouled and we should have had a penalty for that. But also, like, I'm not criticizing him because it's fine with the draw. You can't score everything or whatever. I don't know. But like, I'd have kind of, I, I, I'd have bet Watkins to score that headed chance right at the end. The form that he's, you know, the form that he's in now, the confidence that he's in. So it's just this little, you know, not everything can go your way, can it? And if you, if you have a what we might call a down game from our first team, and you come away with a one-one draw at Wolves, which is a, a, always a tricky place to go for us, then it's hard to be too upset, really. Absolutely. Uh, my three-word review, very quickly. Uh, John McGinn shit house. Um, Emmy Martinez is a giant shit house. But it was great to see John McGinn get into it. Um, Wolves fans absolutely hate him now, and it's great to see. Um, I also did get the um, podcast title for this episode, of course, from Tom and his tweet about uh, Pod Torres as well. Um, you'll know what I'm referencing when he scored that. What would that be, Tom? Wow, right in the kisser. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to tweet that from the 7,500 to hold the count, and then I saw you do it, so I thought, no, I don't want to steal your thunder. I guess I could have retweeted it or something, but... It was just good. I mean, we haven't... I mean, like, just to touch on that very briefly, brilliant response, I thought, to the goal. Should have, I sort of mentioned it in passing earlier, but uh, I think, like you said, like when we went 1-0 down, honestly, as a Villa fan, it's, con- it's hardwired into you that you expect to um, equalize. So, equalizing so immediately was really really great to see great call, oh. great call from molly watkins as well who's just contributing he's contributing something decisive in every game now which is what we love to see right he's a real real confidence player and it's clearly back yeah and i think the thing with torres too i, th- I feel like it so- silences a, a little bit more of the critics mm-hmm. and i feel like that's been going away every single game that he's been playing for the last little bit i mean getting on the score sheet now of course he's running kind of things um, right directly from the back. Um, I mean, long may it continue. We're finally seeing some of that um, 
that really, really, really nice Spanish fruit um, kind of grow from the ground and sprout and be wonderfully juicy. I don't know where I'm going with this, but regardless <laughs> of that, let's get to our man of the match slash match balls. I think that's a good way to do it. I honestly don't think me and Seb did one midweek because trying to get keep Seb awake because uh, it was so late was a struggle. So I think we skipped that from uh, recollection. So who was your man of the match for Wolves um, away on Sunday, Tom? It's difficult. I, you know, I, I, I don't really know. I know that's not a very helpful answer, but I, I didn't I didn't think that anyone was exceptional. I didn't really think that anyone was terrible. I thought some people had quiet games. I did, you know, I might give it to I might give it to someone like McGinn because I didn't think he was I didn't think it was one of his best games, but what I loved what I loved from McGinn today is talking about the stick he was getting from the crowd and, and he's getting fouled a fair bit. I know he was fouling a fair bit himself as well, given as good as he got. He thrives on games like that, I think. Where he's almost public enemy number one for whatever reason and he he's that's why he's real same, similar with Mings, I think. It's why he's real. McGinn's real captain material. Because if you can put your team, if you can put your team on your shoulders in those situations, it's a, it's a real, that's a, a real attribute to have for your team. So I, I liked that a lot from McGinn. And because I can't think of anybody else, <laughs> uh, I will say McGinn. Fair enough. Uh, the BBC had him as actually as the lowest rated Villa player in terms of <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so I, I mean, I don't think that's fair at all. I think honestly, being a shit house on Sunday. Um, was very beneficial to Villa getting that kind of physical element into that game. And he, I mean, he drew a foul every five seconds. It felt like in that first half, especially. Um, I do love the one where he was, I think he kind of slid out of bounds. Um, I think he kind of ran back into the back of the player and like slightly just kind of nicked him with the back of his leg. And then I think it was Nori that literally just came through the back of him and clouded yeah. him because he was so annoyed by McGinn touching him. You know, um, you know, but... one of the one of the, one of the reasons that I'm enjoying McGinn so much at the moment is because I think we've become I think we've already become a bit blase to how how generally high his level of performance is now. Because he went through that, you know, he's had patches of form in the past where he really has has struggled to get, you know, get control of the game and have the kind of influence he should. He's absolutely everywhere in every game these days. And you need a player like that. Um, obviously, he also has quality. I'm not saying it's just about the industry, but you need somebody like that—a little terrier running around in midfield and nipping at people's ankles—and he's doing that. He's doing that job very well. I thought he did. I thought he did very well on Sunday in that regard, actually. Absolutely, and I think that's one of the things too. Of course, we have Emmy Martinez, like I said, doing it in goal, but it's nice to see that actually physically throughout uh, the rest of the pitch as well. Um, I guess I have to go with Ollie Watkins. I mean, he did get an assist. He almost got the game winner. Mm. Um, It wasn't a game of, I guess, pure performance for anybody. It was a game of moments. And he probably had the best ones, I guess you could say, from a contribution standpoint. So, I mean, um, we'll probably talk about it here now and just for a brief moment before we um, log off on this one. But, of course, signed the contract on Friday. um, Did very well midweek when he came on I thought I thought that really changed the game from his forward pressing I mean of course he had the hat trick last weekend and of course scored against Chelsea prior to that almost gets the winner here gets the assist against Wolves I mean it's coming up all Ollie Watkins gets the England call up as well uh, most importantly um, Southgate in the mud Um, so we'll have to wait and see if he actually plays more than five seconds but uh, all in all I mean it's it's just brilliant to have him secured and you can kind of see that confidence in his game, even just kind of starting this one, didn't you? Yeah, I think so. And like the, the, you know, the, the, the criticism that gets leveled at Watkins a lot is that 
Um, I see some people say he can't finish. <laughs> it's like absolutely ridiculous thing to say. Um, I get the point that he misses chances, but I think every criticism that is leveled at Ollie Watkins as a striker, you could level at pretty much any striker in world football, which is that he misses, he doesn't score all of his big chances. And sometimes he doesn't do very much in the game apart from score or create an assist or, you know, whatever. Like, that's not, they're not really criticisms. That's, that's you having, that's, that's showing that you as a fan have expectations that are too high. I think that's genuinely how I feel about that. I think Ollie Watkins as a striker is pretty much everything that a team outside of the typical so-called big six could ask for. Um, I really don't believe that there is a, a, an objectively better striker that Villa could go out, could realistically go out and get without qualifying for the Champions League first. And so to get Watkins tied down, um, he's clearly happy to be here. Um, and of course he's a confident striker, but what striker isn't? You know, if you watched, if anybody watched Arsenal Man City on Sunday, talking about confidence strikers, Erling Haaland, nowhere to be seen. And so that's the thing, like every striker in the world is a confidence player in that regard. And like, so when obviously it's lovely to see Watkins in his, in his groove, like he is at the moment, um, long may it continue. And what with the new contract and the England call up, which to me as a Villa fan, I find sometimes a bit annoying when Villa players get called up to England. But I think for somebody like Ali Watkins, it's clearly important to him mentally and personally. And so because it's important to him, I'm delighted for him that he's got it. And I think it'll, I think that's probably having a big impact on his mentality at the moment, as well as the fact that he's back in the goals. 100%, of course. Like I think we've mentioned before, it's a five-year deal. It keeps him at Villa until 2028, whether or not he stays that long. I mean, at least it, it protects Villa basically for the rest of his probably prime. So there's that asset that you can sell for peak profit regardless because i mean it's crazy i was actually looking at it just a few moments ago when you were speaking tom he's 27 he'll be 28 on december 30th for some reason i keep thinking he's only 23 or 24 it's yeah it does it's crazy it's it's one of those where he's been here actually for quite a, a while now but i don't know it just feels like he hasn't aged one bit yeah he's got a baby face as well like uh, yes. Oligan, Oligan and always used to have when he was playing so he does yeah i agree it's uh but you know, at 27, at a striker like Watkins, when you're like quite an all-round striker, you are hopefully only, okay, maybe you're just about in your the theoretical peak of your career, but you're certainly, if, you, if you've reached the peak stage of your career, you're certainly early in it. And so that's a big thing as well, is like, we, it's hard for us to predict where Villa are going to be in like two years' time. But if you're at a point where, for whatever reason, things have changed and we are looking at upgrading on Watkins or adding somebody of the same quality alongside him or whatever or you know whatever it is you've got a highly sellable asset who'll make you a hell of a lot of money if we ever do decide to part ways with him for whatever reason um and that's a it's not a fun thing to talk about as a football fan because it's business not football but it's important right you know um so yeah that big 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 win i'd say i'd say biggest win of the last week or so watkins new contract biggest loss Ramsey's injury recurrence, right? That's the life of a football fan. Ups and downs all over. Yeah, I mean, we're used to our stars being injured, though. <laughs> That's true. Let's, let's be That's honest. That's very true. It, it does come at inopportune times when we gain momentum, and then sometimes it's killed it. But, of course, under Lord Unai, 
momentum is always on course. But I, I mean, you are right in saying that. And I mean, I, I'm not going to bring it up as a discussion, but the one thing I will say, and I think every Villa fan has to accept, or if they ha- if they are have accepted, then congrats to you. At some point, Villa are going to have to sell the likes of Martinez or Louise or Watkins, whether it be because of age or there's just too much money on offer. I mean, to keep this club going in the direction it's going, you have to buy a player for $20 million nowadays and sell them for 100 or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I mean, like you said, Tom, it, this covers Villa regardless. And I, I like that Villa are actually so smart um, on the field. Off the field right now is a bit of discussion, but don't worry, of course. If you're hearing this on Monday, there's a very good article uh, by former managing editor um, and uh, monthly contributor, uh, James Rushton, uh, who just put out his views on the uh, Terrace View. Um, so do go on the website, give that some love, share it around with your friends, and uh, give it a good uh, look over a few times because James is class at writing, and it's good to support us because we appreciate it. Um, anyways, let's leave it there, unless I forgot anything. Tom, can you think of anything um, that we've probably went on for longer than we should have? I don't think so. I think we've talked about pretty much everything we can talk about and then a lot more as usual. So <laughs> absolutely probably well, pretty good. If we went any longer, we'd probably talk about the stock market or something like that. Um, we don't actually talk about the stock market, but just ridiculous things. So regardless of that, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much to everyone for joining us. Like I said, keep an eye on the website. We will have a few articles out. Uh, like I said, James's article will be out on the Monday today when you're hopefully hearing this podcast. We should have a little Q&A session with a Stockport County uh, content creator, fan, podcasting um, in terms of Louis Berry's progress, of course, on loan at Stockport. So that should be very good to get that inside route um, around that as well. And I think there should be a piece around Esri Konza coming out either later in the week or just follow the following week. So keep an eye on that. Hopefully we should be back soon with another edition of the Holdcast. But like I said, we'll leave it there. And don't forget, up the villa. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.